You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah? Doing good? I, I'm so glad to see so many of you. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is better than I expected. Um, and I know it's because of uh, water baptism coming, and we're going to get there. Don't worry. Uh, but we want to get into the Word of God this morning, and I hope that's okay with you. Uh, we want to, uh, to highlight uh, the Word every single time we're together. And we've been most recently been studying the book of Acts, and we're tracking through. And as a, as a staff, when we looked, we said, hey, we want to take the year 2018 to preach through the book of Acts. And we said, okay, um, how can we break down the book of Acts into uh, chunks? And we really looked at four different areas, uh, four different major sections. And we've already made it through the first, which was created with purpose. That was the first five chapters, chapter one, two, three, four, and five. And we talked about how the church was birthed and how uh, it was created with purpose all over that and how God was orchestrating that. We've moved into the second kind of section, finding the purpose. And that's going to be chapters six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And what we're realizing is that it's not just about the church or buildings. It's about people. And it's about people finding their purpose. And so we're going to be studying and have studied uh, Stephen, of course, who gave his life, uh, first martyr, and then Philip last week, and today we'll be talking about him. Uh, Saul's coming up, Cornelius, and maybe a few others. They're all finding their purpose where they see the power of the gospel, and then they, we see that put into action in their lives, and, uh, and they start to live out their purpose. And what I'm noticing in the book of Acts is that as people find their purpose, as they begin to live in their God-given purposes, every time there's a salvation story that emerges or a conversion story where they once were without Christ, right? Where they were dark in darkness, they were lost, they were sheep without a shepherd, there was no hope. Everyone say to your neighbor, say no hope. So that's kind of where they start. And then they find Christ. They're redeemed, restored, rescued, saved, born again. And so there's this moment where there's a a salvation experience, but then it doesn't stop there. It goes with that conversion is a testimony, a confession of faith, And it all, in every case, it moves to a point of water baptism, to a a baptism moment. And I just want to pause here for a moment, uh, that if you don't have a salvation story, yours is in the works today. I'm just declaring that, that today is a day of salvation. And you're saying, well, if it's fuzzy, or if you're not sure if you don't have a point in time or, or a, an area or a, a time in your life or a season, you're saying, I know I gave my heart to the Lord. I want you to know that you don't get saved by relationship uh, other than with Jesus. You, you say, well, you know, I'm in a Christian family or I've been coming to church. That's not how you're saved. Or you say, well, I'm doing good works or I've been reading God's word or I've been coming and, wor- and worshiping. That's, it does, it's not contagious in that way where all of a sudden you now have Christianity. There's a moment 
where you have to surrender your life and give your heart to Jesus. And again, I declare today is a day of salvation, if there's anyone here, where you find your purpose. And with that purpose, there's a testimony. And with that, we encourage a public confession with baptism. And that's what today is kind of designed to do. And uh, this is very different than in my mind. Uh, I expected just, you know, two ginormous full services. But you know what? This is a little more intimate and family. And uh, this is, God is, he's working. And I'm so glad that we're not uh, canceling service today. And so uh, I'm excited for that. And I just want to say, if you're not sure, uh, you would know if it happened, right? Uh, if you, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if I ask Bruce, Bruce, you know, um, do you remember your wedding day? You know, did you ever get married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, yeah. And uh, you remember when that was, and Brittany's saying, yes, absolutely, right? Like, you're not going to forget that, right? And, uh, and, and you remember that as a, as a moment in time. Now, I know that sometimes uh, there are kids that get saved, you know, when they're four, five, six, or seven years old, and, and, and maybe it's a season. You, there's a season of time, maybe not the day and the hour, uh, but you would know if it has happened. And so if, that, if you are... Uh, uh, fuzzy at all on that. Uh, we're at the end of the service today. We're gonna we're gonna cast the net, so to speak, and we're gonna give you an opportunity to give your heart to the Lord and uh, and to make your heart right with Jesus. And so I want to make sure that you're aware of that. But as we get there, we're gonna study and look at a story of an individual who found his purpose. And it's found in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 26 through 40. And it's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And as I studied this and kind of got my mind around it, and you can turn there to Acts chapter 8. Uh, I encourage you, to, and if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the back two tables. Just get up. We're family. You can go grab one. You're going to want to look at God's Word. Uh, no problem. Or if it's on your you know, phone, uh, that's okay. No, no problems. But anyway, it's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and we want you to follow along in Scripture. And as I studied, uh, I realized that there were three things, three ingredients that are included in the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion story. And then as I kind of sat with it and thought about it even more, I realized that these three ingredients, these three elements are seen in every salvation story. And so we're going to take a little unique look at this story, the Ethiopian eunuch. And the first ingredient that we see is that there's always a messenger in a salvation story every single time. And let's look at it, starting in verse 26. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. The messenger in this story is Philip the evangelist. You fast forward 20 years later, he's still serving the Lord. His, his daughters are prophetess. Uh, we see that at the end of Acts. And, and he's uh, already served in ministry in Samaria. Uh, we started to talk about that last week with Pastor Bobby. And by the way, Pastor Bobby, you did a fantastic job. Loved the message last week. And uh, thanks for stepping up and, and serving in that way. 
And he's on his way to uh, Caesarea, where he'll end up in uh, kind of living his days there. But if you remember, Philip was one of the seven that were chosen to kind of wait on tables. He was chosen to lead, and uh, by the Holy Spirit uh, was, was picking that. And we, we heard a little bit of that from last week's message as well from Pastor Bobby. But we see Philip preaching to the crowds last week and working with Simon. And now he's prompted by an angel and some would say, you know, man, wouldn't that be incredible if God were doing that today? And I would just say, how do you know he's not, right? And uh, I mean, God, uh, he can send angels anytime he wants. And at least seven times in the book of Acts, that happens. But we have Philip here. He's going from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is about a 60-mile uh, journey west. And Gaza, if you didn't know, I didn't. Uh, but as I studied it, it was the land of the Philistines. So not only is he thinking about reaching Samaritans, now he's reaching the enemy, the real enemy, right, uh, to the Jews. And again, it would be like going from Muskegon to Ludington, if you can put your mind around that. And what I want you to see is the important part in this perspective is that an angel prompted Philip to do this, and he did it. He went. He didn't pray about it, at least we don't see that. He, does, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to wait for another sign, or I'll do it later, or I'll, I'll procrastinate now. And uh, he doesn't question it. He just goes when the Holy Spirit says to go. That could be a lesson for some of us here today. Philip is the obedient messenger in this story. Now, as I thought about it, I believe that there are... There's never a case that someone comes to Christ without a messenger. Think about it. A parent sharing their faith with their son or daughter. A teacher sharing God's word. A pastor, a friend, or even the Holy Spirit in some cases revealing. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, uh, let's look at it in Romans chapter 10 real quick. Romans chapter 10 Starting in verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, how do I get saved? You call on the name of the Lord. And then it goes on in verse 14 15. It says this, But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. In every salvation, or salvation experience, there's a messenger. And someone is bringing, uh, bringing the message. And in this case, it was Philip. And what's great is that we see Philip willing to leave the crowd for one soul. And what's awesome is that the Holy Spirit could have, God could have told the eunuch, how to be saved, but God chose Philip as the messenger. And I just want to say that God, he still chooses us to be the messenger to bring the good news to others. And so in this story, we see the right person at the right time, and that leads us to the second ingredient that not only is there a messenger, there is also in every salvation story, there's a seeker, a hungry heart, someone searching for something, someone looking for answers. And in this case, I'd like to put it this way, it's the no-named 
Ethiopian eunuch. We don't even know his name, but he's described. And what's interesting, you think about it, is perhaps he's the first Gentile convert from Africa, from Ethiopia. You say, well, what's up with him being a eunuch? And uh, what, what is a eunuch? And I'll just say that it's a castrated male, someone that's lost their reproductive parts. They've lost their sexual drive. And you say, boy, that really stinks. And I, w- I would say it probably does. <laughs> but, uh, but what's interesting is that you, if, you th- if you were you know, living in this day and age and that happened, you'd be like, man, your life is over. But in that age, um, you know, it actually uh, put a person like that in a place of leadership different from others. They would often be serving in the palace because there was no threat of you know, relationships and things like that. And in this case, the Ethiopian eunuch is described as an important official. He's actually the money guy. Let's look at it, verse 27. It says, uh, so he, that's, uh, that's Philip, he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. And look at the description. It says, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So this guy was a man of influence. He had traveled 200 plus miles to Jerusalem to worship. And what we see in this story that even though he had been in a worship atmosphere, he had made this pilgrimage, his heart was not satisfied. He was still hungry. He was still seeking. He's not sure exactly what. And look at it, verse 28, he's on the right track. It says, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And in that tradition, they would have read it out loud. That's how Philip heard him reading, of course. And they knew that. And he was reading the book of Isaiah. He's searching. He's looking for something. He's got a hungry heart. And in verse 29, it continues. It said, the Spirit of, uh, of God told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so I don't know if the chariot's moving. And so like Philip is running alongside and he hears this. Or if the chariot is parked, most likely. He comes close. He's listening. He's hearing the book of Isaiah being quoted. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Again, we've got a messenger. We've got a seeker. A hungry heart. A seeking heart. And I just want to ask, do you know what that's like to have a hungry heart towards the Lord? Maybe you've been in that place, or maybe you're in that place. You're saying, man, there's got to be more to this purpose, reason for living. There's got to be more. Have you ever struggled with that? And what's what's great is that God was not about to disappoint the Ethiopian or Philip in this. There are two ingredients, a messenger, it's Philip, and the seeker, the eunuch. As I was studying this, I ran across a story of another example of a messenger and a seeker. How many have heard of J. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary from the uh, mid-1800s? As I was looking at this uh, story, 
And it says that in uh, October of 1857, so Hudson Taylor would have been 25 years old. And uh, so that's him at, uh, late in life. Um, good picture, though. I like that one. And, uh, but anyway, he's 25 years old. Any 25-year-olds in the house today? Or who's the closest? 25. All right, stand up for a second. So just imagine a, a young man like this, all right? He left England. You can sit down. Uh, for he left England and went to China, and he was ministering in Ning. Ningpo, China, and he was led to a guy named Mr. Nye, N-Y-I, and he led him to Christ over a series of days in, in relationship. And Mr. Nye was led to, to the Lord. It says the man was overjoyed and wanted to share his faith with others. And so he's like, hey, I got to share this again. And he asked, uh, uh, Mr. Nye asked, how long have you had the good tidings in England? In other words, how long have you known about the good news of the gospel in England? And Taylor acknowledged that England had known the gospel for many centuries. And all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. He says, my father died seeking the truth, said Mr. Nye. Why didn't you come sooner? Taylor had no answer that, to the penetrating question, how long have you known the gospel, is what the commentary says. How far have you shared it personally? And just this idea that there's two components here that are at work, and that, that there's a seeker, yes, but there's also a messenger, and that leads us to a third ingredient that we, it has to be involved in a salvation story or in a salvation or a conversion story, and it's, it is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that breaks through and, uh, and changes hearts and lives. Let's look at it. Verse 32 says this, the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. Uh, there it says this is the passage, and it says this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. You say, okay, uh, where is this from? This is from the Old Testament, and it's the part of uh, the Old Testament that details the most comprehensive prophetic passage in the Old Testament talking about Jesus from Isaiah 53. And if you look at Isaiah 53, the first few verses, it's about his birth and then his life and ministry. Verse 4 through 9 talk about the suffering of, that Jesus did that led to his death. And then verses 10, 11, and 12 talk about the resurrection of Christ. And so it, just think about the timing here. How awesome is the timing that the Ethiopian eunuch is, is reading about Jesus and Philip comes up, and it's incredible. If you go back to Romans chapter 10, real quick, where we read earlier how they know unless someone is sent, a little later in verse 17, it says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. You have to hear the word of God, right? And then it says, And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So let there be no confusion. You have to have the Word of God at work in a salvation message or in a salvation experience. And that's exactly what's happening here. And so we see these three ingredients start to mix. And I want you to know that it's the Word of God. It's not clever speech. It's not, um, you know, some uh, pop psychology. Those things would never be enough. It takes 
the Word of God to transform a life. I was thinking about it this week. I was in my office, and, and I, was, I was just thinking about the Word and my story. And I've shared my story before that my grandma is the one that led me to the Lord. Now, I was a, uh, in, born in a Christian family, and I probably got saved in kids' church you know, lots of times, like a lot of kids do. But when I was nine years old, it was November 12, 1985. I remember, and I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, I was curious, and I was asking my grandma, uh, you know, how would you know? I was having doubts in my life. Like, how would I know for sure? And this is what my grandma told me. She said, go get your Bible. She understood that the word is what was going to make it all make sense. And she sat down with me. And at that point, I don't know if she had it in memory or how she did it, but she took me through what we call the Roman road to salvation. How many have ever heard of that? A few of you have, sure. And it's just a, a, a few scriptures in Romans that talk about the fact that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? That we've all, like sheep, are gone astray. We all need a Savior. And then it goes on to talk about Jesus being the substitutionary, um, you know, the substitutionary atonement that Jesus, he took my place and he is the one that took the punishment for me. And it that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And I think he goes to 1 John 1, 9, 2. Um, if you know the Roman road, I don't know why it should be the Roman in 1 John road. I don't know. But anyway, but, but that's what she did. And then she, we, she explained it, and we prayed, and then we wrote it in my Bible. She said, I don't want you to ever forget this. I don't want you to ever doubt this. And I don't have the Bible with me, but I took my, that Bible with me before my grandma passed a couple years ago, or just about a year and a half ago. And I took it with me to Florida. I said, Grandma, do you remember? And, uh, and she said, oh, yeah, I remember. And uh, it was a special moment. But it was a moment that I could look back, and it anchors me in my faith. And that's what a salvation story is all about but the word of god has to be a part of that let's look at it uh the ethiopian uh here eunuch says to philip verse 34 says tell me please so they're just reading about jesus but he says i'm having a hard time he says tell me who is the prophet talking about is he talking about himself is isaiah saying this about himself or is he talking about someone else then philip get this began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He started with the word and shared the story of Jesus at that point. Now, I want just to paint this picture here just for a moment. I just feel prompted by the Lord. It's not in my notes. That the, this Ethiopian guy had been around church. He had traveled 200 miles to Jerusalem to even worship. And Many commentators believe that he hadn't really fully understood this, you know, that he needed Jesus. He doesn't have a salvation experience until this point. And that just kind of you know, reminds me that you could be around church, you could be in and out of church, um, you could worship, you could you know, look on the outside, but until you have a salvation story, a conversion story where the Word of God comes alive and you make a decision, kind of draw a line in the sand, um, 
you could be missing it. And uh, again, it takes the word of God, these three ingredients, a messenger, a seeker, a hungry heart, and the word. And you put those things in a bowl and you start to mix those around, it creates one conclusion, one story, a salvation in this story, the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. But wait for a second. It's not only salvation, it's salvation with a public profession of faith. Let's continue in that story. Look what it says, verse 36. It says, as they travel along the road, and you can imagine Philip and the the Ethiopian talking back and forth. It says, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Verse 37, it's not in all your Bibles, uh, but some of them have it. It says here that uh, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, uh, you Uh, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Say, why isn't it in all the Bibles? Uh, The most accurate, the most, uh, it's probably wasn't in the original uh, context, but when you read that, it is certainly biblical. It can be backed up in Scripture, so I don't mind uh, mentioning it. But verse 38 picks it up. It says, and he gave the order to stop the chariot. So he says, look, what can stand in my way of being baptized? says nothing, right? Then he ordered the chariot to be stopped. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. We'll pause right there. They believed. He believed. And then he went public with it. And he had this spontaneous baptism moment. I would call it fast baptism. It was a moment of obedience. Philip must have been sharing along the way uh, as they're traveling, saying, look, you got to be saved, and then you got to be baptized. They come up upon some water, and he's saying, hey, there's some water. Why not now? And they say, yes, let's do it. They get out of the chariot, and they do it. It was obedience. And I want you to know that baptism doesn't save anybody, but it's the first act of obedience. And the Ethiopian eunuch, he had a heart that wanted to be obedient. And I just want to say this, that in Scripture, in the New Testament, there is a pattern of fast baptism. Uh, The Great Commission, of course, Matthew 28, verse 19, says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, uh, and, and grow the church in that way, right? And that's, that's, we call it the everyday commission or the great commission. That was the command in Scripture from Jesus himself. And so the disciples, they go out and they start to do it. Acts chapter 2, we see the precedent started, right? Thousands of people, 3,000 people were added to the church on the day of Pentecost. Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Thousands of people were baptized on the day of Pentecost. You can look it up, Acts chapter 2, 38. You fast forward, last week, we looked at Acts 8, verse 12, the Samaritans. After they accepted Jesus, the, uh, they were baptized, even before Peter and John made it onto the scene and talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized uh, into the name of Jesus. Paul was baptized in Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Cornelius was baptized. We're going to get to these stories in Acts chapter 10. Lydia, on the very same day that she gets saved, in Acts 16, verse 15, she is baptized. And then the Philippian jailer, a little later in Acts chapter 16, he is baptized. Again, same day. In Corinth, we see the same thing, Acts chapter 18. Over and over, we see these salvation stories. The culmination is a baptism experience, and they would baptize 
in water. And it was the next step. And over and over, we see people putting these three ingredients together. And you say, well, you know, maybe in your tradition there needs to be a class or, or something like that and that explains this. And, and uh, there was no class in Acts, uh, in the story of Acts. Now, I do believe that you need to understand what you're doing. And uh, we talked about the age of accountability and, uh, you know, for kids to know uh, what they're doing. But I want to say this, that today is the day of salvation. Today, there is water here. What would hinder anyone here that hadn't been water baptized? There is nothing that would hinder you. In fact, we've made provision for spontaneous baptisms like we often do. We have shorts and t-shirts and towels. And so I'm just sowing the seed here. In the next few moments, the Lord might be stirring in you and say, man, I need to do this. We want to make that the, uh, the, the priority for this morning. And today, the same thing that happened with the Ethiopian eunuch could happen today. Someone has told you about Jesus. You've accepted him. Someone is seeking, is now believed. The word of God is proclaimed. You've received Jesus. What's the next step? You need to complete that story with a public confession of faith. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and to join me and uh, there are many that are here first service. And uh, most of you that are here, I'll just be honest, are here because of baptism. And I get that. And I love that. And I'm glad that it worked out that way. And it's a little more intimate than, than normal. But today is a day uh, for baptizing. And uh, you can slip out if you are preparing to be baptized today. And so I know a few of you are, are doing that. But uh, as they slip out and prepare and then we got some kids in the back that, uh, Bruce, if you could let Rachel know, I'm a couple minutes earlier than expected. I told her 10 after, but uh, we're about five after. And I just want you to know, I'm excited today for what's going to happen in the, the folks that are going to be baptized, that are planning to be baptized. But I'm even more excited about the potential of someone that might be here today that the as the word of God is being shared, the light bulbs are going on and you're saying, man, I want to be crystal clear. I want to know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that I have Jesus in my life. And you might be here today and maybe you've given your heart to the Lord uh, at an earlier time and you've not been serving God. We want to provide an opportunity for you to come back to Jesus and say, I'm going to make Jesus a priority in my life again. We call that a salvation call or a salvation experience. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you're away from Jesus, or you're fuzzy about the details, or whatever the case might be, I want to give you the opportunity to give your heart to the Lord, to surrender. That Roman road to salvation talks about the fact that we're all sinners. I mentioned that already. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And then scripture describes that even one sin that is goes unforgiven would keep us from making it into heaven. That means you, one lie, one mistake. You say, man, that's pretty harsh. Who could make it to heaven? Well, the Bible talks about it. We get to heaven through Jesus and through Jesus alone. 
It was the blood that was shed on the cross that covers your sin. And what that means is that when you accept Jesus into your heart and you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Savior of my heart, he covers you with his blood. And then when he looks at you, or when you get to heaven, he says, you're covered. I see you as perfect. No sin. Your past, present, and future sins have all been erased. I was talking with Marcia earlier before service, and we were saying, man, that is a good deal. We don't deserve that. No one here deserves that. But that's what the gift of salvation is, and that's what's offered. And we want to offer that this morning. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I would say, just like Philip, you're saying, no, I don't understand. And maybe there's been some understanding that's happened this morning. You're saying, man, the light bulbs are going on. You're saying, man, I need Jesus as my personal Savior. Would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, uh, but I, I do want to know, is first service here, anyone here ready to receive Christ? And again, I don't know everyone here. I don't know all your stories or what, what, where, where, where you are. But if you don't have a salvation experience or a salvation story, and you're saying, man, I need to get that started, and you want to this morning, anyone at all, you raise your hand. Okay. I'm going to be bold and ask you to ask your neighbor who you're sitting next to, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Are you 100% sure that you're sure that you're sure? Just do that right where you are. And if there's any doubt, I want you just to kind of raise your hand saying, you know, I'm ready. I need Jesus in my life. Anyone at all? Okay. All right. We're good. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask that you stand this morning. We're going to take it one step further. If you are here this morning and you love Jesus, You've received Jesus into your heart, but you have not been water baptized. I'm not talking about being baptized as a child, sprinkled in a certain faith, and we don't have the time to talk about the differences between that. We're talking about the biblical pattern in, in, the, in the New Testament of people getting saved and then being water baptized by immersion. If you've not been baptized, I want to set up the scene just like the Philippian or the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. Hey, there's water. What would hinder anyone here from being baptized today? If you're saying that blows my mind, right? I can't imagine that. Well, listen, we've made provision. We have t-shirts, shorts, and towels. And they're going to sing a song that's going to give us plenty of time to go get changed and prepare. And so we're going to turn the lights down. I'm going to walk out the back, and I'm going to ask, if you are ready to be baptized, that you would just meet me right in that back hallway here in the next 30 seconds. And let's have a spontaneous baptism or two. Wouldn't that be incredible? I'm telling you, the times we've done it, it's exciting. And so if the Lord is stirring in your heart, you're saying, man, there's no excuse. We can do it with God's help. And so I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to lead. I'll meet you in that back hallway. 
us do it this morning. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I'm asking that you would just continue to pour out your power in us and through us. God, that you would have your way, speak to us. And Lord, I pray as you're prompting in in some of us, Lord, I pray that we would step out in faith and and do what we're feeling like we should do. God, I don't want to twist anybody's arm, that's for sure. But God, we want to give the opportunity. And Lord, for those that are preparing for baptism now, Lord, prepare their hearts and prepare our hearts to hear their story and to celebrate with them. We pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Spontaneous baptism in the back hall. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.